Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Continue to pray for all those who are sick. It seems like the cold and flu is spreading around, so I pray you guys don't catch it. Amen. Today we start a new series in the Gospel of Luke. So uh, I was joking with JD this morning. I said, yeah, this is uh, the longest book in the New Testament, so I think I'm hoping the church will keep me around long enough to finish this book, because it's um, 24 chapters and... The thing about Luke that's quite interesting, I don't have time to go all the details in your listening guide, but Luke was the only Gentile author in the New Testament. And what's amazing is, you know, most of the books, except for Acts and Luke, which were written by the same author, were Jewish. So Luke writes from a completely different perspective, a perspective that many many of us can relate with, because for those of us who are non-Jewish and grew up in Western culture, we think a little bit different than the Hebraic mind. So, a little background about Luke, if you'll look at your listening guide. Uh, Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man who came to seek the Son of Men so that they could be saved. So, our whole series, we're going to talk about how God is on a rescue mission for you. And Luke's a highly evangelistic book. In fact, um, the Gospel of Luke's been used by God to lead more people to Christ than any other Gospel um, since 1979, and the reason why, how many of you have ever seen the Jesus film? Anybody ever seen based upon the Gospel of Luke? I was shocked when I read that it's been translated in over 1,200 languages, several billion people, they don't probably have an exact number, but several billion people have heard it, and they've recorded as many as over 490 million professions of faith from the Gospel of Luke. So Luke is a highly evangelistic Gospel. And as you read through Luke, it's obvious that he's a researcher, he's very intelligent, as we know he's the physician, he's a doctor, so from ancient standards he would be highly educated, he writes in a very um, classic uh, way, he writes in a very, very polished Greek, his Greek is very uh, polished. Um, if you look at the characteristics on your listening guide, it's on page 2, um, there's four major characteristics. This comes from Thomas Nelson. It's the only gospel that has a sequel, the book of Acts. So Acts and Luke kind of go together. Um, Luke is the only one who writes a lot about the ascension of Christ. So that's kind of unique to the gospel of Luke. Second, it's the longest of the four gospels. Third, Luke records a wide variety of miracles, teaching, parables, making it the fullest portrait of Jesus' ministry. And much of the material especially chapters 9 through 19, only appear in Luke. So some of you are like, why are we studying Luke? Why not Matthew, Mark? Well, Luke's a very unique gospel, and he gives us a very full picture of Christ. And fourth, Luke is the only gospel addressed to an individual, Theophilus. So there's a lot of unique characteristics about Luke. And the structure and overview, you guys can kind of read that on your own. We will skip over the birth narrative since we spent a whole month uh, Christmas talking about that. Um, If you look at Christ in the Scriptures, I I find it fascinating that Dr. Luke presents Jesus as someone that reaches out to those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are marginalized. Um, He he tends to reach out. You see a lot about the Gentiles and how Jesus came. I think the big takeaway from Luke is that the Gospel is for everybody. That's one of the major themes in Luke. The Gospel is not just for Jews, but it's for the whole world. So, kind of to summarize a little bit of the historical background, Luke is writing a historical document of a supernatural event. 
If you think about it, the Christ event forever changed human history. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But today's topic I want to bring up, we're just going to cover the first four verses, is, is it possible to be sure about anything? You guys ever thought about that? I've heard all my life you can't be sure about anything. Now think about this. How many of you were sure that the person you married was the right person? Okay, a few of you. You guys all got brownie points. How many of you are sure that the, the place you went to school or to college was the right place? I mean, how do you know? How do you know for certain anything? Um, how do you know that the right career you're doing is the right, right one? I mean, how many of you have not changed careers many times? So how is it possible to be sure? Is it, can you have certainty about anything? We're going to talk about that today. So if you will, please turn to Luke chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. I was thinking as I pulled in and saw the banner, we got Brother Luke here with us. He th- probably thought we were doing a series, Welcome Luke. <laughs> His name's really big. So we've got two Lukes in the church. Welcome Luke. All right, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you guys will read as I read along as I read out loud. It said, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to us. It seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. If you will please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful. Lord, as we look at the introduction of Luke, help us realize that every word of God is inspired, including the introduction. And help us see that you have so much here for us that applies to our lives here in 2018. Father, bless your word. May God be glorified and may Jesus be lifted high. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So in the original language, in the Greek, this, these four verses are just one sentence. And Luke wrote in a very classic way, a very polished Greek. And it's just one sentence. So... The question I want to ask you as I read this text, can you be sure about anything? I think the answer is through faith, there are some things you can be sure about. Through the natural eyes, the scientific mind would say you can't be certain about anything. But through faith, there are certain things that you can have certainty. The first one is this. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. If you look at verse 1, it starts off, Luke starts off, inasmuch as many have taken into account to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. When you think about the word fulfilled or fulfillment, what do you think of? I read a story about this guy that was in an airplane and he was flying above the lake that he spent so much time as a child fishing. And he looked at the guy next to him and said, you see that lake down there? And he looked down and he said, yeah. He said, as a boy, when I saw airplanes fly across the air... I thought I would give anything to be in the airplane. I mean, that's flying high, it's going places, doing stuff. But now I'm in the airplane, I wish I could be back down there fishing as a boy. When you think of fulfillment, you think of that. But when Luke talks about fulfillment, he's not just talking about meaning or purpose or satisfaction. He's talking about Christ completed this. So if you look at verse 1, what are the things that Jesus fulfilled? Why were so many people writing about Jesus? I find it very intriguing that Luke doesn't claim to be the only one writing about Jesus. He said many have written about Jesus. 
And the reason why, the Christ event changed so much of history that, I mean, people were writing about it. Not all of it, obviously, was Scripture. We don't have it in our, our Bible. But people were so moved by Christ that they wrote about it. Some probably in great detail, some probably in story form. But Luke said, I'm finding it necessary to write this. And the reason we're going to find out is Luke wanted to write his gospel to those who were like him. Gentiles who didn't quite understand the Jewish thing. And how does Jesus relate to me being a non-Jew? Luke is the guy who answers a lot that Christ came for the whole world. And if you look back in Genesis 12, wasn't that God's intention from the very beginning? He commissioned Abraham to go out. And what was his commission? To be a blessing to all the nations. Did that really happen? Did the Jewish people as a whole evangelize and be a blessing to all the nations? Somewhere along the, along the way, they kept it to themselves. And it became more of a closed thing. Yes, there were people outside the Jewish nation that became followers of God. But as a whole, they weren't evangelizing the world as it was meant to be. So what the Jewish nations failed to do, Jesus did himself. He came and he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And he did it so we could have life. And if you look at AC and you look at, excuse me, you look at before Christ and AD, um, a lot of times we think of AD meaning after death and actually is a Latin word that means in the year of our Lord. And you think about the human history, how it was forever changed. When Jesus came, all of historians look back and say this is before Christ and this is the year of our Lord. And our whole calendar changed. So when Luke starts his gospel saying, Many have written about this narrative of those things that have been fulfilled among us. He's saying that, listen, you know, Jesus fulfilled so much. And it's so important that you know this. I want to write about it. If you look at your listening guide, there's at least three ways Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. The first way is this. All of the Bible points toward Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward to his coming. And the New Testament looks back at Jesus. So all of the Bible is a book about Christ. It's his love story. We have 66 books that tell us how much God loves us through the person of Jesus Christ. In John 5, 39 and 46, it says, Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life. And is they that bear witness about me. If you believe Moses, you would also believe of me because Moses wrote of me. So what was Jesus saying when Moses talked about the other prophet that was coming in the book of Deuteronomy? He was talking about me. Um, Jesus goes on to the, the, the two men at Emmaus as he resurrected and he appeared to them. It's Luke twenty four twenty seven. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So when you look at Jesus, he fulfilled all the promises of the coming Messiah. He was the coming Messiah. And even today, if you have the opportunity to talk to a special person that has Jewish faith, you can open the Old Testament Scriptures. And from Psalm 22 to Isaiah 53, it goes on and on. There's so many explicit references to Christ. And He was the fulfillment. Can I get an uh-huh? Number two, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Law and the Prophets. Look at Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the Law of the Prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will pass away till all is fulfilled. 
So what did Jesus say? I didn't come to do away with the law. I am the fulfillment of the law. See, the law was the shadow of the things to come. But when the light comes, the shadow is no longer necessary. Number three, I love this one. All the promises of God find in Jesus their yes and their amen. 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. So I want you to think about this. That everything that you long for, everything empty in your life, Christ is the fulfillment. When Luke starts his gospel out by saying, the things that are fulfilled among us, I want you to look at the things in your life. What is Christ fulfilled in you? For those of us who are empty, know that only Christ can fulfill you. For those of you who are searching, know that Christ is the answer. For those who are longing for joy and peace and hope in this crazy world, Christ is the only one that can bring fulfillment. He not only fulfills the law and the prophets, but He also fulfills you. He's the only one that can bring satisfaction to your soul. Amen. Number two, the second thing that we can be certain of through faith, through the eyes of faith, Jesus was a historical person who actually lived, died, and rose again. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, this is what Easter is all about. This is what Christianity is all about. If it wasn't for the resurrection, we have no hope. Christianity is in vain. But look at verse 2. It says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. Now, it begs the question, how do we know Christianity is true? How do we really know? Can you really know for anything for certain? The answer that we have is through faith. Through faith. We see things that are through the eyes of faith, even though we can't touch them, taste them, feel them. But also through personal experience. I, I think back to my life, and I want you, as I tell some of my story, I want you to think it back to your life. The moment you came to Christ, did your life change? I remember I was just five years old. I can still remember as though yesterday, it's 30 years ago. Um, I remember my dad, I was talking to him, and I said, Dad, if I say that now I'll lay me down to sleep prayer, would that get me to heaven? You know, the now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And my father said, no, son, you have to ask Christ to come into your heart. You have to ask him to forgive you your sins. Now, five, I don't know which sins I committed. Maybe smarting off to my parents. I'm sure I disobeyed. It wasn't, you know, a long list in my mind. I'm sure it was long. But, you know, at five, I didn't know a whole lot. I just knew, okay, I need Jesus. I need to ask God to forgive me for disobeying, whatever it was. So I knelt down in my parents' room. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. And that, that was the day that God came into my life and changed me. That's when the Holy Spirit moved inside. Now, did I know all the theology behind it? No. But I had childlike faith. I remember when I was 14, how um, we, we, we were at church service. And um, it was at a Christian school I went to. And the guy preached, preached on blind Bartimaeus. How you got to cry out, Son of David, have mercy. And I remember going forward in that service and basically calling out to God, reassuring myself of my salvation. And I remember shortly thereafter just surrendering to God everything. I remember, I call it A4, God, anytime, place, anywhere, anything, I'll do it. And shortly thereafter, when I was 15, God called me into the ministry. I still remember the first sermon. Um, how many of you remember your first public speech? How nervous and trepidatious... The biggest fear of every, most pastors, I can't say every pastor, is you're, you're going to run out after five minutes. You're like, I, you know, this congregation, it's my Sunday morning sermon. 
I don't know if I have enough material at age 15 to last. And I still remember that, that, that fear. And I remember that whole process. Um, God, I was long-winded back then too, by the way. Um, the rest of the story is I didn't make it through half the sermon. I had to stop. We, we grew up in the Wesleyan Methodist Church where you, you had to be out by 12. You had to beat the Baptist to, to uh, Shoney's or wherever. So I remember the clock and you start to hear the, <coughs> once you hit 12, all right, I had to shut it down. So they let me come back that night and preach again. So, um, but from then on, I knew that's what God wanted me to do. So this, this January, I celebrate finishing 20 years in ministry. And I feel like I'm just getting started. I mean, you know, so God has so much ahead. And, you know, I look back at the different milestones in life. And how do I know God's real? Well, I've seen God move. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen even in this church, you know, I wasn't going to tell them, but Aaron and Michelle, they're, they're here somewhere. And them having a baby, that was a miracle. And I, I see throughout my 20 years in ministry, answered prayers. And I experienced God inside. So when Luke says, you know, I'm writing these things because eyewitnesses told me and I researched it. And these things were true. I know it not just by, by research and knowledge, but I know it by experience. You know, Christianity is something you can experience and feel. It starts with a step of faith, but then you're hand in hand with Christ. He's walking with you. And I don't know if you ever thought about it. We talked a little bit about during Christmas. But, you know, when Jesus came, they said, you'll call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. But Jesus said, it's good that I go away, which Luke talks about this a lot in the book of Acts, what happens. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. So it's not just God with you, it's God in you. You ever think about this? Every time someone becomes a Christian, the purpose is Jesus living his life through you. It's Jesus living through you. I mean, that's just like every time someone is born again, it's God moving inside, living his life through you. That's, that's the whole motive and goal of Christianity. And you know, when you think about the, the eyewitnesses alone, and just a few reference if you want to write down 1 Corinthians 15 on your outline. Um, I was reading from one doctor from the University of Miami, Dr. Edwin Yamanucci. He said if, if you look at, he was, he was a great history professor, I believe. He said if you look at the historical evidence, and St. Paul says, if you don't believe me, ask them, because there was at least 500 at one time that seen his resurrection. Dr. Yamanucci said this, if you allowed each of those 500 people to testify in a court of law and just gave them six minutes apiece, including cross-witness examination, you would have a court case with 50 hours of first-hand testimony. He goes on to say that this testimony would have been the largest and most lopsided trial in history. Now think about that. 500 witnesses and you just gave them six minutes apiece. Hour after hour of testimony. And Paul's basically the implication is, if you don't believe what I'm saying, most of them aren't dead. They're still living. Go talk to them. So the thing that separates Christianity from all the other religions is you can talk about Buddha, you can talk about Muhammad, you can talk about all the leaders, all the religious leaders of the world, and they can take you on the tour where that person lived, you know, where, where they had their life, here's where the, their, their house was, but they can take you to the place where they were buried, and today their bones are still there. Christianity is the only faith where you go, you can see where Jesus lived, here's all the miracles, but when you go to the tomb, the tomb is empty because he's no longer there. So Luke's saying, listen, I want this gospel. The gospel's for the Jew, but it's also for the Gentile. And I'm writing this out of the purpose, I want the whole world to know 
Christ is for the world. He's the Savior of the world. And he, he goes on in verse 2 to say we're ministers of the Word. Did you guys know that you're, you're ministers of the Word? When you think about the church, a lot of times in the American church we get it wrong. We think we pay the pastors and the staff to be the professional clergy and do the, do the ministry. But there's really no separation of the ministry. We're all to do the ministry. I mean, who's to say there's the, there's the laity and there's the clergy? Aren't we all called to be ministers of the gospel? Actually, the pastor's job is to equip the saints so that together we can do the ministry. Because you look, you look at around us on Arden. Just one few miles of this congregation is about 60,000, 70,000 people. Do you think I really can reach all those by myself? It takes all of us and it takes all of the churches working together. And that's part of our, for those of you who weren't here last Sunday, our theme for the year is everyone reach one. We're asking everyone at the church, and this can be in partnership with, with your small group, with everybody, but our personal goal is everyone to win one person to Christ this year. And I think, I think it's doable. I think there's people in your area that need Christ. I don't think that. I know that. And it, through God working through us and through gospel conversations, we will fulfill what it says, the ministers of the word. Everyone can reach one. Amen? All right, number three. I'm getting fired up. We're just in the introduction. All right, number three. Thing we can be certain about. Luke gives us an orderly and accurate account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Look at verse 3. He says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So we know that Luke wasn't an eyewitness. He wasn't one of the apostles. But he researched and he spent time with all the apostles. So you might say that this is inspired research. This is the Holy Spirit leading Luke, who to interview, who to talk to. And if you realize about one-third, one-fourth of his gospel is unique. We mentioned chapters, I believe, 9 through 19. Is, most of it's unique. So he's writing from a different perspective. He's trying to write in a way to reach the non-Jewish world. Uh, Sir William Mitchell Ramsey is an archaeologist, very highly respected. He was also knighted from Scotland. But back in the day, he set out to prove that Christianity was a farce. He was one of those atheists that did not believe in God. And he thought, the very book I think that has the most errors is the book of Acts. Because, I mean, all these miracles and crazy stuff going on. He said, I'm going to disprove the book of Acts. And if I can disprove the book of Acts, I'll disprove Christianity. So he spent 15 years researching digging all this archaeological research to try to prove that the book of Acts had errors in it. After 15 years of digging and research, he was converted to Christianity. And I, I want to read to you what he said. He basically said that the book of Acts was so uh, legit. And Luke, he said, was the, one of the greatest historians to ever live. His document, his research, everything is valid. He also wrote several more books on the, su- on the subject. And many atheists outcried his writings because they thought this guy was going to disprove Christianity. And as, as he dug and as he researched, he realized the Bible is true and it's trustworthy. Luke wrote with a mission. What was his mission? It was to present an accurate and orderly account to his friend Theophilus concerning the truths of Jesus. So when you look at verse 3, Luke's basically saying, I, I've researched I've talked to the people that need to be talked to. And I'm presenting 
a chronological. Now, it's not completely chronological, but it's pretty orderly. Whenever Luke had need to go aside on a, on a different story, he went aside. But overall, it brings his orderly, chronological flow of the life of Christ. Now, it brings up the question, Theophilus. Who was that? Who was this Theophilus guy? Um, well, his name means lover of God. And I think it's pretty cool when you look at someone's name, lover of God, and this guy's really wanting to know more about God. We don't know a lot about Theophilus. Most likely he's very wealthy because it says most excellent Theophilus. Whenever you hear that terminology, most excellent, it's usually written to a dignitary. And some scholars believe that Theophilus may have also sponsored Luke to write this book. So he may have been the one who was providing the means that was necessary to, to make this book happen as Luke was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Theophilus, you know, we don't know what he was going through. Uh, one scholar said that Theophilus may have had some doubts or concerns about the faith. Like, okay, I'm going to this predominantly Jewish background faith. You know, it has its Old Testament Judaism, has its roots in Judaism from the Old Testament. And I'm a Gentile and I see all these Jews rejecting Christ. You look at the scribes, you look at the Pharisees, you look at a lot of Jews. So what am I doing in this faith that has Jewish roots? Why am I here? Have you ever asked that question? You know, is Christianity real? Have you ever searched? Let me tell you, it's okay to ask the questions because God has the answers. It's okay to have doubts and I don't understand this. And I want to encourage you to reach out to other brothers and sisters when you have doubts. It's okay to say, I don't know. I got a question, asked a question the other, the other day I didn't know the answer to. I said, I have to research. It's okay not to know. Christianity is a relationship. And you may not know all the ins and outs. You may not have all your heads screwed on straight. But you can know that God is with you and he's for you. I once had a professor at Fruitland. Um, this is back, um, I started there, 2000, 2002. So this is, you know, 18 years ago. And the professor asked a question I'll never forget. He says, is it, right, is it possible to be right in the heart if you're not fully right in the head? And of course, students want to debate that. And he says, I sure hope it's possible because none of us are fully right in the head. I mean, think about it. None of us are perfect. Faith is, doesn't mean you have all the answers. So what, one thing I love about Theophilus is the fact that his name means lover of God. Did you know that the more you love God the more you want to know about God. And the more you learn about God, the more you can love Him. You ever think about that? So you have Theophilus, who names mean, his name means lover of God, and he's wanting to know about God. He's wanting to know about the life of Christ. So over the next year plus, I'm excited to be on a journey with you, God willing, to go through this book about the life of Christ. Because I want you guys to love Him more, and I want you to have a, a picture, a portrait of Jesus. And something about this... I like to look at Luke. I've heard the, the thought of Luke as a painter. You think about a painter. How many of you have ever painted a house before? I know Brother Dan has painted many. Not a lot. Of, but think about painting a house. I don't really enjoy it, but it's a lot of work. But you think about if you hired a painter, what would you do if you came in, you asked the painter to paint the wall, you know, let's paint it this color, this light gray, this beige, whatever. And you came in and the walls were knocked out. And it, the house is reconstructed. You, you had went away for a weekend and the house... You'd be like, what in the world? I asked you to paint the, the wall, not create a new one or knock one down. I mean, that would be atrocious. So what Luke does is he's not trying to change anything about Christianity. He's trying to say, I'm here to paint a color 
that's going to resonate with those who are not here yet. I'm doing this for, for my people. I'm doing this for the people who are out there that don't know Christ. And isn't that air heart we should have? We're to go after the people in our neighborhood, in our city, those that we're closest with. And we're like painters. We're like, okay, here's the gospel. The walls never change. But I want you to see a picture of Jesus. I want you to get it. I want to be able to speak your native tongue so you can understand the truth of the gospel. And as Christians, we're all missionaries. We do that every day. People that don't yet know, we kind of play the role of Luke with Theophilus. I'm writing this to you. Now think about this. Luke is the longest gospel, and to my knowledge, it's the longest book in the New Testament as far as verses and all that. And he's writing to one person. Basically, he has the mentality, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to reach one person. Think about the time it, it took and the years of research it took to write the Gospel of Luke. And he's writing it to one individual. I know the hope was that it would be circulated, I'm sure. But he's starting with one. As I, as I read that, the Lord kind of spoke to me. Timothy, are you willing to do whatever it takes for one person? Are you willing to take years and months and hours and sweat equity and work for one person? Are you willing to do that? Luke did it. Are we willing to do it? As I was thinking of that, my mind brought me back to um, my days at Merriman Avenue Baptist. I, was a, I was, did youth ministry there. And I still never forget this, this young guy named Cody. And I'm still in touch with him today. Cody was the guy that was kind of a loner. And he didn't do really well in school. And he kind of did his own thing. And he had a unique personality. He loved rap music. His jeans were hanging half down. I mean, he was just, you know, one of those special teens. And so every time I tried to reach out to Cody, it was like there was a wall there. He lived alone with his grandmother. He didn't have any parental involvement. Um, had a lot of struggles. So in the course of time, we were going to summer camp. You know how every summer, the, the highlight of the year is the youth summer camp. How many of you have ever been a volunteer on youth summer camp? Some of you are like, ah. Oh. You know, those are tough weeks. All week long with teenagers. No sleep. Camp food. But the gospel's there. That's the positive thing. <laughs> I'm not a camper myself. So, you know, hanging out. So I went to go pick up Cody. He didn't show up when the van was getting ready to leave. So I went to his apartment. Started knocking on his door. He wouldn't answer. Finally, I think his grandmother answered. He said, Cody's not going to go. And I'm like, you know, I've asked it all this time. And he still, he still, not, he still doesn't get it. So in time, eventually, uh, Cody, this kid who loved rap music, this kid that... You know, would get in trouble, this kid that didn't have a lot of direction, he comes to accept Christ. And I'm just celebrating, I'm excited. Finally, he makes a decision worthwhile in his life. He's made so many poor decisions, now he's doing something right. So it comes on the day to baptize Cody. And guess what? The day of baptism, he almost backs out. So I'm like, here we go again. You back out of summer camp, you're about to back out of baptism. So finally, he went through. And the day I baptized him, it was just such a special time. Day I'll never forget. It's just, you know, him. And it's like to this day, we still have that connection. And that's the one. I mean, if, if I was only sent to that church for that one teenager, that was worth it all. And didn't Jesus say, you leave the 99 for the one lost sheep? I think if we all had the mentality, like Luke does, I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach Theophilus. I want to do whatever it takes to help. And we think Theophilus was probably a new believer. I believe that he was, you know, new in the faith. But Luke was willing to do whatever it took to disciple him, to love him, 
and to help direct him in the right path. Number four. Jesus came on a rescue mission for you and you can rest assured of this. So this is the fourth thing through faith we can be certain of. Look at Look at verse 3 and 4 again. It says, To write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things which you are instructed. You may want to underline, know the certainty. I love the fact that we can know certain things through faith. Now, the scientific mind would say, well, there's nothing you can be certain of, right? That's the scientific mind. But through faith, faith gives you eyes to see that which you can't see. See, a lot of times in, in the world, we say seeing is believing. In Christianity, it's the opposite. Believing is seeing. Hebrews 11.1, 1, if you look at your listening guide, many of you are familiar with this verse. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I love the Phillips translation. It says, Now faith means putting our full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of the things that we cannot see. The, the Gospel writer, First John, John says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So through faith, there are certain things that you can know. Today we talked about four of them. Number one, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. He fulfills the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment. Number two, Jesus was a historical person who actually lived, died, and rose again. And that's something we can celebrate and shout about. Number three, Luke gives us an orderly and accurate account of his life and ministry of Jesus. So we can be sure that Jesus lived this life. Here's what his ministry looked like. And finally, Jesus came on a rescue mission for you. And you can rest assured of this. Your take-home truth is this. Faith gives us eyes to see the unseen. And hands to grasp the invisible. But I just want to leave you with a few application thoughts as we just try to apply this introduction. The first thing is this that you and I can have hope in the certainty that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. There's so many religious systems out there, so many faiths out there. But as we study the Gospel of Luke, I want you to walk away, rest assured that for those of you who are Christians, you made the right decision. Just like Theophilus, the new believer, needed reassurance. This is the way. Jesus is the truth. He's the life. And for those of you who are still seeking out the claims of Christianity, just know that Jesus is who He says He was. And the second thing I want us to see with the relationship between Luke and Theophilus is reached people reached people. Reached people reached people. So if we have been reached by Christ, who are we reaching for Christ? Who are we discipling? Who is your Theophilus? So your homework assignment over the next few weeks is to have a a gospel conversation with somebody. And that may start off with a cup of coffee. It may start off with, you know, tell me me your story. It, It may start off with a few conversations before it leads to that. But work up to presenting, here's the hope of the world. Here's an opportunity that Jesus has in your life. He truly is the Savior and He truly cares about you. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. In it we see your love for the the one, Theophilus. In it we see that Christ came 
for the whole world so that the world may know that God loves and cares for me and for you. And Father, I pray that it would be embedded in our spirit that believing is seeing. And if we will believe in you, even if we don't understand it all, even if we don't have it sorted out all in our head, it's okay. Just like Theophilus, a young believer most likely, didn't have it all figured out. It's okay. It's okay not to have all the answers because we know who is the answer. As we continue to pray with everyone just in a spirit of prayer, I want to talk first to the believers. This year, the mandate is simple. Reach people, reach people. And I just want to ask you, if you have been reached by Christ, who are you reaching for Christ? Right where you're sitting, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just say, God, provide opportunities for me to share Christ with someone this week. Provide opportunities for me to present the hope that you've given me this week. And as the believers are continuing to pray, if there be one here today that has never prayed to receive Christ, It's a heart of faith that reaches out. Just like Theophilus had to accept Christ. Just like Luke did. Just like they had to take the step of faith. If you believe that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. And you've never given your life to Him. It's really simple. Just in your own words, say, Jesus, I realize that you're the Savior of the world. You lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. You died on the cross. And you rose again. Jesus, I'm placing my faith in you, making you my Lord and my Savior, my best friend. I ask and pray that you would forgive me of all my sins. I turn from my old life and ask you to give me a brand new life. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Thank you, Father, for these things that you've given us certainty about. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.